Well, good evening, and again, welcome to our Wednesday night time as we make our journey through the book of Acts uh, and consider how First Norfolk is called by God to tell others who Jesus is. And as we look at the book of Acts, and we're coming to the end of the book, we're now in this section. It's kind of the, the, the downward trend. Uh, Paul has made his way to Jerusalem, and then these events begin to happen. And they're not fun events, but they're all fulfilling the purpose that God had and that Paul felt deeply in his heart that he must get to Rome to tell others who Jesus is. So as we come to Acts chapter 21, I want you to begin looking with me in verse 15, and we're going to travel all the way to uh, chapter 22, verse 29. So go ahead and start turning there. Remind you uh, to be in prayer as, uh, as we get ready for children's camp and senior adult camp. That's happening next week. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have uh, over 100 children uh, get on buses, third through uh, fifth or sixth graders get on buses, and they make their way uh, to children's camp. And I get to spend a week there with uh, those children. They hear about Jesus. They grow in their faith in Christ. We have wonderful leaders that we're going to pray for on Sunday uh, for children's camp. We're going to commission those leaders and pray over them. Uh, but it's going to be a wonderful time. I want to encourage you to pray for uh, children's camp. And if you have a third, fourth, fifth, uh, and sixth grader that is not yet signed up for children's camp, go ahead and call our, uh, our offices and, and sign up. You don't want your child to miss a wonderful experience like children's camp. Uh, pray for those who are ready to hear the gospel and receive the gospel, that their hearts will be tender toward the gospel, and we'll celebrate all that God does. Also, Senior Adult Camp is going to be a great time. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, and it's going to be a fun time with Gene Mims. It's going to be so much uh, encouragement for our senior adults to live on mission for God's glory. So uh, be in prayer for our senior adults as they go through that. What a wonderful crew that God has given us, a, a gathering of these mature saints who are faithful to the fulfillment of God's call. All right, so we get back to Acts chapter 21, and just as an aside, or just kind of getting to the context, you remember Acts chapter 19, uh, we saw that there was a riot in Ephesus. Paul had spent three years there in Ephesus doing the work of the Lord and building that church and, and, and encouraging and developing believers, discipling them in the theater of Tyrannus. And then uh, there was an uproar that took place, and uh, a, a conflict happened after that uproar, after that riot in Ephesus, Paul determined, really before the riot in Ephesus, Paul had determined that he needed to go through Macedonia, uh, see the church at Corinth especially, and then go to Jerusalem, but he must go to Rome to tell people who Jesus is there in Rome. So uh, after the uproar uh, in Ephesus was over, uh, Paul started making his plans, and he got his team around him. They encouraged him. He encouraged them. Uh, he spent the winter of A.D. 56 and 57 in Corinth, and from that, uh, in, during that three-month period of time, uh, he then wrote the letter to the church in Rome uh, that we have, the epistle to the Romans. Uh, during that time, he encouraged the church at Corinth and other churches in Macedonia and Achaia uh, along the Aegean Sea. 
and then uh, as he's leaving that territory, he gathers the Ephesian elders. And we saw this Sunday, he gathered the Ephesian elders around him, and he, uh, uh, he had a wonderful time with them. And, the, uh, and these words that he shared are inspirational to us, and I hope you've uh, tasted those words again. Uh, now we hear that Paul is uh, 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 entering Jerusalem, okay? And what we find is that uh, no matter where Paul was, no matter what circumstances he encountered, every path was an opportunity for the gospel. Every path. He saw every path that he walked, every step he took as an opportunity for the gospel. And that's what the church must do. As followers of Christ, we fulfill our, our calling, which is tell others who Jesus is, when we see every step through the lens of the gospel. We filter every encounter, every circumstance, every um, uh, down, uh, uh, downward path and every upward path. We, we see it all through the lens of the gospel. This is an opportunity for the gospel. And that's what we're going to see uh, with Paul especially. He saw every path through the lens of the gospel, and that became can- contagious for the church. Now, how do we uh, get to the place where we uh, see every path? I've shared this, shared it a couple of weeks. You'll hear me talk about uh, my adventure, anniversary adventure with Edie probably uh, for a year. Uh, you're going to hear me talk about it because there are different pictures and, and uh, uh, meaningful moments for me, not only with Edie, but also as pastor, uh, lessons that I learned. Now, as I shared about our trip, we knew that we were going to begin in Portland, we were going to end in Portland, but everything else was driven by one thing, get to Zion National Park and go walk through the Narrows. Everything about our trip was driven by that one mission. We had a beginning, we had an ending, but the mission was the focus, and that's what drove every path we took. No matter where it was, we knew that we were going to get to Zion. As followers of Christ and as the church, we need to see every circumstance, every encounter, every uh, uh, door open and every door close as an opportunity for the gospel. Everything becomes focused on this one mission. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. So when we see every path through the lens of the gospel, uh, we celebrate uh, the gospel's work. Uh, That's what Paul began to do. Paul knew that he was going to get to Jerusalem. We saw last Wednesday night that Paul wanted to get to Jerusalem so that he could celebrate the glorious work of God's great grace in multiplying uh, the church. Now we see that come to fulfillment. Uh, And that is one of the great ways that we, the church in the 21st century, uh, see every path through the lens of the gospel when we celebrate the gospel's work. Uh, Again, uh, on August 15th, Sunday, August 15th at 3.30, we're going to celebrate the gospel's work at Beach Baptism, Sandbridge. Uh, We're going to get together and and we are going to celebrate and others on that beach are going to celebrate with us. Even those who don't know Jesus, they're going to be 
influenced by the testimony of those who are baptized. It happens every single year. So I want to encourage you, if you have not yet been baptized as a believer, this is your opportunity to help us celebrate God's uh, great work and the gospel's work in your life, how you've been transformed by God's grace. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, go ahead and sign up. Call the church office. You can go to firstnorfolk.org slash beachbaptism. I think that's what it is. Uh, you can go and look and you can discover more about how you can be baptized as a believer at beach baptism. Well, look at chapter 21. Look at verse 17 through 20, verse, uh, the first part of verse 20. Scripture says, when, uh, when we, now anytime you see we in the book of Acts, that is Luke who wrote the book of Acts and Paul and probably the missionary team at that particular time. So we includes Luke, the author of this book. So when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And when uh, Paul had greeted James and the elders. He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Uh, now, we don't hear anything about Peter or the apostles in this section, in this time in the history of the book of Acts. Again, this is probably around 57, uh, 58 AD. And uh, Pentecost happened around uh, 34, 35, 36 AD. So you see this span of time, about 20 years have passed and the church has expanded, turned the world upside down. Now Paul returns to Jerusalem and he says, let me tell you what God has done. And he told them about uh, his missionary journeys, and, and he presented them with collection for the saints there in Jerusalem who were experiencing drought and poverty and famine. And he told them about lives being transformed and churches being born and, and the progress of those churches. And James and the elders of the church at Jerusalem celebrated. They glorified God. They said, God has done great and mighty things. Friends, I've got to tell you, we need to be more focused on God, the gospel's great work. We see it every single weekend that we gather together. Every time you get with your small group, your life group, whether it's in this building or at your home or some other location, every time we gather together, there is a great work that the gospel is doing, and we need to see it and recognize it, and we need to celebrate it. If you see it, you need to detail it, just like Paul did. You need to tell people what God is doing and what the gospel is working in the lives of others. Anytime you see someone who is lost, who becomes found by God's grace and they put their faith in Jesus, we need to talk about it. You need to tell that story. You need to uh, help us celebrate what gosp the gospel's great work in our lives and in our church. Uh, one of the reasons why baptism is so essential as a church is because it is that opportunity for a person who once was uh, far from God, who's been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's their opportunity to raise the flag of their faith and their allegiance to Christ and to declare to the church, I belong to Jesus. The gospel has changed me. Jesus has changed me through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I am transformed 
by God's grace. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm different. And, and as you declare it, we celebrate it. We need to celebrate. We need to glorify God together. Uh, the great work of the gospel in our church. I, I just want to encourage you to tell us those stories. Uh, if you're looking for a way to tell those stories, uh, get on one of our social media uh, 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 profiles, so Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and just uh, go to our page and write a note and say, this is what God has done in me, or this is what I've seen God do. Uh, take pen and put it to a piece of paper and send in a note and say, this is what God has done. Uh, this is the gospel's work in my life or that I've seen done. Or you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and, and you can say, pastor, I want you to hear the gospel's great work. I want to celebrate. I want our church to celebrate what God is doing through the gospel's work in your life or around you. And as we continue to pray for the ones and the ones that God has planted in your sphere of influence, uh, where we go to family and friends, neighbors and nations, and we tell them about Jesus. As we continue to pray for them, you've, you've identified. Now, we as a church, we're praying for those ones. And as you find opportunities to share uh, the gospel with them, uh, just email me and say, Pastor, I got to share the gospel with my one. Uh, write a note, Pastor, I got to share the gospel. Even if your one doesn't embrace Christ, we want to celebrate the gospel's work in that one's life and in your life as you get to share and tell the greatest news ever known, uh, that sinners can be saved by God's grace, that hell can be escaped and heaven won because Jesus died for a sinner upon the cross and was raised from the dead to give us new life. And through faith in him and turning from our sin, uh, we can find that new life. We want to celebrate that. Uh, and that's what helps us to see the gospel in every path. So, for instance, you have a coworker that is particularly difficult. They are an EGR kind of coworker, extra grace required. And you're not sure about where they stand in their relationship with God. Don't see that coworker as just a toxic person that you got to put up with. See that coworker as an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Now, you might say, how do you do that? Well, let, let me kind of, that coworker comes in, he's particularly grousy or she's particularly uh, grousy and, and they're rude to you or they're hateful or they're, uh, they, they uh, put on you an extra burden of work or whatever, and that happens. I, I encourage you to respond to whatever they do in this way. You know, Bill, I... I recognize that, that you're upset or you're angry or you're mad or something. Um, and I understand that. Uh, can I tell you one of the ways that, uh, even through difficult circumstances that I've faced, uh, one of the ways that I have uh, navigated my disappointments or my bitterness or my anger uh, is through God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. He's forgiven me so much of what I've done, bad choices that I've made that have led to disastrous consequences, um, hurt that I've caused or hurt that I've created. God has forgiven me, and he's led me to have a, a perspective of joy in the face of life. Would you like to hear more about how you can experience that forgiveness and joy? 
And that leads into telling somebody about Jesus. Just look through the lens of, uh, look at your circumstance through the lens of the gospel. So we celebrate what God is doing. We want to celebrate that. Uh, Secondly, we see every path through the lens of the gospel when we make conscious decisions to adjust for the sake of the gospel. We adjust for the sake of the gospel. Now, things get a little tight here in Jerusalem. Uh, It's about AD 57 when Paul's there in Jerusalem, and and things are filled with conflict, politically and religiously, uh, between the Jewish people and Rome. So Jerusalem is uh, fraught with all kinds of of, uh, political and religious upheaval. So here comes Paul. And uh, when Paul enters the scene, James and the elders celebrate what God is doing, but they're also concerned about the conflict. At the second part of verse 20, James says, man, we celebrate what God's done. Can I tell you that there are a myriad of Jews who have become followers of Jesus? And he says, they're zealous for the law. Verse 21, pick up here, verse 21. But they, these New believers who are of Jewish uh, heritage, they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you now. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Paul was faced with a new issue. Uh, There were those who were saying uh, to uh, to Jewish Christians that Paul uh, had abandoned the law and was telling others to abandon the law. Now, here's what we know about Paul. Paul said that being circumcised is nothing or not being circumcised is nothing. It doesn't matter. Uh, Paul was not against the law. He just saw the law through the right lens. He says the law is a tutor to help us see our need for Jesus, that we are saved not through the law or the works of the law, but we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't against the law. He just knew that the law couldn't bring him into a relationship with God. And so here we have Jewish Christians who were zealous for the law. That means that they were, uh, they were passionate for keeping the, the Torah, the commands of the law. Now, they were believers, and as believers, if they truly were believers, they knew that the law itself could not bring them into a relationship with God. But because of their Jewish heritage, they wanted to continue to practice their Jewishness. Again, Paul was not against that. Uh, Paul just knew that it didn't matter that much. You remember when Paul had Timothy circumcised for the sake of the Jews. You remember that? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at at Paul uh, having Timothy circumcised uh, so that when he entered a synagogue, the mission would not be uh, 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 hampered or hindered. So here we see Paul and his accommodation once again. Uh, you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, uh, to the weak I become as weak, to the, uh, to the Jew I become as a Jew, to the, uh, to, uh, uh, to the slave I become a slave, 
to the free, I become a free, I become all things to all men uh, for the sake of the gospel. Um, the, the lesson we learned, so that's exactly what Paul did. Paul listened uh, to James and the elders, and he accommodated himself, and he, and he uh, took those four men, and he entered into the temple precincts uh, in order to purify himself and to allay any fears about him being anti-law of Moses or anti-Jewishness. Uh, the good news is that there was nothing about this accommodation that would compromise the gospel, but rather it was an opportunity to bridge the distance between Jewish people and the gospel so that Jewish people might see that the law itself could not uh, make us right with God. We're unable to keep the law, but that Jesus came to do what the law could not do. Romans 8 uh, Paul said uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, and he condemned sin in the flesh uh, and uh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to flesh, but according to spirit. Paul said, the law itself is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And because of my relationship with Jesus, the law is already satisfied. And so when Paul says, I'm going to go take a vow and I'm going to take these four Christian Jewish men with me and, and I'm going to pay their expenses and I'm going to try to build a bridge so that other Jewish people might, uh, might uh, see the power of the gospel, but also so that other Jewish Christians might, uh, he might not be an offense to them. Uh, now that is accommodation. Uh, so as Paul did that, uh, it was uh, 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 the goal was commendable, uh, the result was not. But uh, we'll get to the result and say, can I, can I, again, as pastor, just humbly suggest a couple of things. First, your preference, my preference, is not more important than the gospel, ever. And although we don't have to follow purity standards of uh, first century Jewish people or even Christian Jewish people, uh, there are preferences that we have when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Preferences, not Bible things, but me things or tradition things. And we elevate those preferences so much that we become an offense to those who do not yet know Jesus. When we, uh, as a church, fulfill our calling, we must adjust our preferences for the sake of the gospel. We're seeing all things that we encounter through the lens of the gospel. And my goodness, Jesus adjusted for the sake of the gospel. He who is God became flesh and bone and dwelt among us. He who is God left the throne room of heaven, uh, took off the glorious garb of his deity and shrank that deity into the skin of humanity. He became a baby. He became flesh and bone. He subjected himself or submitted himself in obedience to God, uh, the Father, to the rigors of a human life. Even though he is fully God, he became fully man. And he did that so that those who are far from God might find life through faith in him as he died on a cross for sinners and he's raised from the dead to give us new life. Guys, I got to tell you, Jesus adjusted for the sake of the gospel. What makes us think that we shouldn't? Preacher, you just don't know 
how important this particular thing is to me. I don't have to know. I've got my own little baggage that I've got to evaluate. I don't have to know how important that thing is to you. I can tell you it's not more important than the gospel. And we've got to adjust for the sake of the gospel. And that's how we see things through the lens. For instance, again, talk about the coworker that has offended you or is offensive to you. You might say, well, I don't need to share the gospel with them. I need to, I need to put them in their place. I'm not saying you don't stand up for yourself, but I am saying that you are more apt uh, to be faithful to God and fulfill the calling God has when you approach that coworker with humility uh, rather than puffed up saying, you don't treat me like that. When we approach people with a heart of humility and we say, I've got to look at this relationship, this work relationship, as difficult as it is, I need to, I need to figure out a way to build a bridge to Bill's life so that I can share the gospel. I, I'm going to accommodate myself. I'm going I'm to adjust my own pride, my own ego at times in order to share the gospel. Now that is what happens when we see things through the lens of the gospel. My goodness, you're not getting stoned to death. You're, you're not being thrown into a, a, a coliseum of wild beasts. Uh, you're just having to put up with a difficult coworker and look for an opportunity to point them to Jesus. That's going to take a humbled heart. But Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. We got to do the same. All right? So uh, the church fulfills our calling when we see things through the lens of the gospel. And that means we adjust for the sake of the gospel. And then third, we need to understand that conflicts are an opportunity to share the gospel. So Paul went to the temple precincts and a riot broke out. Now, there is great similarity to the riot in Acts 21 and the riot in Acts 19 in Ephesus. I mean, great similarity. Luke uses the same language in the same terms when he talks about how the people responded. Uh, if you remember uh, in the Ephesus at riot, uh, the riot at Ephesus, uh, the people there, uh, the crowd, the mob, they, there was so much confusion, they didn't know what they were doing. And one yelled at uh, one thing and another yelled another thing. And we see the same thing happening uh, in verse 34 of chapter 21, it says, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. And, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing. The gospel has created outrage. And the people there in the, in, in the temple courts, they grabbed Paul and they drug him outside the temple precinct and they, uh, they, they're ready to hang him. They're ready to kill him. Uh, then uh, the the uh, the commander of the garrison saw the mob and saw the, 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 the carnage and he intervened and he put Paul in chains and then pick up in verse 37, see what happens. Then Paul uh, was about to be led to the barracks and he said to the commander, may I speak to you? The commander replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? So this commander is trying to figure out who is this cat? You know, who is this guy? Is this that, that, uh, that terrorist who was from Egypt that had created such carnage before? But Paul said, 
I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So Paul was in conflict, and he wanted the opportunity to address these hundreds of people in a mob so that he could share the gospel. It goes on. So when uh, the commander had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when, when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. So he's speaking to the, uh, speaking to the commander in, in Greek, and then he begins to speak to the crowd in Hebrew. Now, what is Paul doing? Paul is seizing even conflict with the opportunity to share the gospel. We're going to see this uh, expanded time and time and time again. From here to chapter 28, Paul is consistently using conflict, leveraging conflict to share the gospel. You know, what, what happens when the church encounters conflict, especially with the outside world? We, we cry foul or we get upset or we run and hide. But, but when we see the conflict through the lens of the gospel, we see it as an opportunity. Conflict at work with Bill is an opportunity to share the gospel, to tell somebody about Jesus. A conflict uh, in, in uh, a grocery store can be an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Conflict in a school board uh, where there are differing opinions about different things, opportunity to share the gospel, to tell somebody about Jesus. Uh, we have um, the opportunity to leverage conflict so that we can tell the story of Jesus. Now, how do you do that? Well, Paul just told his story. Paul said, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. I, let's pick up again, and uh, uh, let's pick up in, in verse, uh, verse uh, 1. He said, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, he said, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent, and he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, I'm brought up, I, I, uh, I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, by the way, people are gasping at this point because Gamaliel was a famous teacher and Paul was brought up at his feet. I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way. Now, this is the second time or third time we've heard Luke refer or Paul refer or people refer to the movement of God's grace through the church as the way, being a Christian and, and the movement of Christianity as the way. I persecuted, verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears uh, me witness. So he's appealing to the high priest. He's saying, the high priest you got right now, he knows me. He knows what I did. He knows how I persecuted Christians. He says, he goes on, and all the council of the elders, the Sanhedrin, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, bring them in chains to, the, to Jerusalem to be punished. And now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, and uh, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they didn't hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. And a certain man, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him and and he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. He's talking about Jesus. See the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I, was, uh, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw Jesus saying to me, make haste. And get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen, this is Acts 7 and 8, when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And Jesus said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Verse 22 says that when they heard Paul give this report and as he gave his testimony to Jesus, they raised their voices and they said, away with this fellow from the earth for he is not fit to live. And they cried, verse 23, and they tore off their clothes and they threw dust in the air. Uh, They were fit to be tied. They were ready to kill Paul. Now, here's what I want you to see. Not the reaction of the crowd, but the faithfulness of Paul. That is the model that we are to follow. In the times of conflict, and especially in opposition, when people rise up against us as followers of Christ, when when culture is so swayed by darkness that it can't see the light, and they yell at us and scream at us and call us bad names, share the gospel, tell others who Jesus is. This is our mandate. Leverage every conflict for the sake of the gospel. And when we do that, the result may be exactly what Paul experienced. Uh, He was put in chains, and he's going to be kept in chains. And people wanted to kill him, uh, but he was faithful. By the way, that is the test of a healthy church. The test of a healthy church isn't that the people flock to us and say, boy, aren't you cool. The test of a faithful church is when we, the faithful followers of Christ, go on mission and tell others who Jesus is, even when it's tough. You know, um, followers of Jesus do hard things. And it's hard to tell others who Jesus is when they're yelling at us and screaming at us and calling us bad names. But instead of fighting for our right or our preference or whatever else, in humility, we respond to that conflict with the good news. We don't back up. We don't cave in. We do the hard thing and we say, Jesus has saved my soul and he can save you too. And there's no other name under heaven by which you or I could ever be saved.
except the name of Jesus. So let's go and let's see every step, every path through the lens of the gospel. Let's celebrate the gospel's good work. Let's adjust for the sake of the gospel and let's leverage conflict to tell others who Jesus is. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May, uh, may he uh, bless your coming in and your going out. And may he fill your life with purpose as you see your calling and as you see every step through the lens of the gospel. God bless you and good evening.